0: Welcome to another episode of Conversations with Lance. I'm your host, James Lankin, and my guest today is Mr. Michael Joyce. What's going on, James? What's going on, man? I'm How are you, right you today? Well, thank you for having me. Hey, first of all, before we even start, man, I just want to take this time to say thank you for doing this. Absolutely. Um, I feel as the interview, the interview is going to be very important because I think this is a topic that is kind of taboo especially in our community the homosexual conversation. So I really appreciate you doing this
1: cuz not everybody want to discuss it. <laughs> I feel like it's a it's a good you know opportunity to talk about something as you said that uh I think within African American community we don't speak about too often it is you know it's it's a subject that I think a lot of times we glance over. Um and so I think it's, it's important for us to, um, to have these conversations so we can learn from each other, you know?
0: Well, I'm going to be honest, man. I, I'll, I'll be flat out honest. Um, I, I feel I'm at a point in my life where I can have this conversation. I, I, I was one of them people. We couldn't have had this conversation maybe even as soon as three to five years ago. Yep. But, you mm-hmm. know, as, yeah. I, as I've gotten older, and evolved in my thinking and meeting more people, you know, my my perspective on things has changed. Absolutely. Now, I'm not going to act like, oh, I haven't made a comment that some may deem offensive, you know, but that's just just a part of life and that's just a part of me growing. And I'm trying to become more understanding.
1: I think that's, you know, when you reached out and approached me to have this conversation with you, I think, you know, when I thought about what I wanted to, share with you, you know, just based on my experience, it was really important for me just because as you said, I, I know there are not a lot of people that have had an opportunity to talk uh, to someone who is in the LGBT community, you know, someone who is gay or, or lesbian or even trans. So, and I think that, you know, we, I, I know that I, I, and you, you know, we want to celebrate differences and respect people for, you know, who we are. So, uh, like I said, this was, this was an important topic for me to, to jump on. Yeah, thank you.
0: So, let me, so let's me. go ahead and get started. How, how old were you when you first knew you were gay?
1: Ooh, man, what a question. Um, <laughs> where do I start? So um, I'll back up for a minute. So, you know, I'm an 80s baby, and music was always like a big part of the environment that I was raised in. And if I remember correctly, maybe around the age of eight or nine, I had this JVC stereo with an FM radio that was always tuned you know, I'm an only child. So it was, it, I, I was in my room a lot. I listened to a lot of music, but I always listened to 92Q and it was a, a Baltimore station. And I was definitely watching MTV, even though I wasn't supposed to. And I remember, you know, I, I snuck in and watched a lot of music videos. And at that time, Janet Jackson and Madonna were, you know, huge names and they were making, you know, uh, a, a big splash. And I admired them for their beauty and for their style. And I think, even, you know, just some of the messages that they had in the lyrics in their songs, you know, I was really gravitating towards. But um, on the flip side of that, you know, I was also admiring young men, but paying closer attention to their physical attributes. Whereas women, I was just, like I said, I, I was admiring their their beauty. Um, I was also watching, you know, I loved Saved by the Bell at the time and I watched Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And I remember, you know, thinking that Mario Lopez and Will Smith were, were, <laughs> were really attractive. But I couldn't quite put my finger on why I was so enamored with them, you know? Um, I didn't understand what it meant to be gay and or, or even to like somebody of the same sex because at that time there weren't really any gay men or women in mainstream media that were out like they are now. So, you know, I, I didn't see anybody on TV like myself. Um, my mom and dad had a very healthy relationship, loving relationship. So I grew up just thinking that that, you know, was kind of the example of what my future life would look like, you know, the wife and the kids and the house and the, the dog and the, the white picket fence. Um, and there was never a conversation with them about what gender I, I was attracted to It was just expected that I'd be with a, a girl, you know? Right. We're so school,
0: of-
1: go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I was just gonna say middle school, I dated girls because that's what you're supposed to do. You know, right. right. Girlfriends quote unquote were really just friends that I enjoyed kicking it with. You know, kids back then weren't as fast as some of these young kids coming up now. So we showed affection. <laughs> I'm just saying, we showed affection by, you know, hanging out by the lockers and passing notes to each other in class, you know, getting on the phone after school and talking for a couple hours. Um, but, uh, you know, it, 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 we weren't sexually active, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I understand. Uh, but I would say probably at the age of 13 or 14, I started to realize that I was different and... Um, you know, I didn't enjoy sexual experiences with girls and often shied away from being close to girls intimately. And that's when I would say they started to take notice. And it was, and, uh, and I, and I kind of knew something, something was, you know, and I don't want to say something was wrong, but you know, I was just different because my peers right. and the kids that, you know, the other young boys that were, you know, in, in my classes coming up, they're all about women, all about girls, and that's all they talked about. And that's not how I was feeling, you know? Yeah. So uh, the way, because you were feeling different, were you were you afraid of what you were feeling? I was, I mean, um, as I said, I didn't know any gay people. So I, I didn't know there were other people like me and I grappled with my feelings and hated the way that I felt about guys. Um, I denied, I denied how I felt despite kind of knowing subconsciously that I was maybe doing a disservice to myself by avoiding what was a part of me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, And it was a really confusing time, man. I mean, I was probably 15 or 16 before I knew, all right, you know, you're in the guys, point blank, period. But there was no way that I was going to identify as a gay man because I still didn't truly understand what that meant, Um, even as a teenager. You know, it's not like I'd read up on homosexuality. You know, I was dating a girl at the time. Her name was Candace. And, you know, she's actually one of my closest friends today. We've known each other for, you know, probably twenty five years at this point. Um, but I remember being vulnerable and having a conversation and encouraged to tell her kind of the mental turmoil that I was experiencing internally. Um, and she didn't believe me. She just thought I was making making it up as a way to get out of the relationship that we were in. And I thought to myself, like, who in their right mind would make up the fact that they're gay to get out of the relationship? You know? <laughs> yes, yeah, that's a bit much. <laughs> and it was it was hard. I mean, I think um, that was one of my biggest struggles. And the thing is the people that I had always known to support me and to stand by me because they weren't, you know, because it, this was something that was foreign and unknown to them. I felt alienated. All right. So the the age we, we
0: talking was 13 to 15 when you kind of like knew, but at what age were you like comfortable? Like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and let people know I'm going to live my truth and I'm, I'm going to feel good about who I am.
1: Wow. Uh, well, let me just first start by saying this. I, I, I just want to address uh, really quickly just because you asked how, you know, if I was afraid and how I felt. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I mentioned, you know, I face a lot of scrutiny from peers because let's face it, kids talk, especially when you're in high school. And, um, you know, and I'm ashamed of myself. And it, it, at, at that point, I was starting to get bullied, you know, and I think. A lot of kids experiencing, you know, they experience bullying of some sort when they're in high school, um, but instead of being like body shamed, like some people are being called fat or, you know, for being promiscuous and being called a slut, I was being called a faggot, you know, and that was, it, I mean, it, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm not gonna dance around that. That's just, that's how it was. And that was almost a daily occurrence for me um, towards, you know, you know, probably in my sophomore, junior year of high school. Um, so I was scared for what my life would become at that point. And because I didn't have a safe space and another questioning or gay friend at that time that I could really confide in. I was struggling secretly. Um, so, so yeah, so, but as far as, man, as far as being comfortable, I think that's what your question was, being comfortable in, in being open about my sexuality. Yeah. Um, that was several years later. I might've been 25. Um, it was a long road, James. <laughs> a long road to finding acceptance within myself and then also from others. Um, I think I was 17. This is a, a an interesting story, but um, I hope you don't mind me just sharing, you know, some of my personal experiences.
0: No, man, go ahead. You being transparent. I'm sure it helps somebody. so. Okay. All right.
1: Yeah, I was 17 when my parents found a letter actually that I written to a guy that I liked um, in a journal that I kept. My mom worked at IBM for 30 years and she she, got all, she always got a lot of freebies from work, and she brought home this IBM journal, and there were two of them, and I had written in it, you know, because, you know, there's, you always have a lot of teenage angst, and I was coming home and just jotting things down sometimes. So anyway, she, she says that, you know, she was cleaning up my room, but, you know, um, I, I think still to this day, and we joke about it now, that uh, she was just being, you know, a, a snoop. <laughs> you know, invading my privacy and it's cool now. Back then I was hot, man, James, I was so mad back then. But anyway, so this was the day before I left for college. I had a pager, Um, I was over my friend, once again, my friend Candace's house who lived in Burtonsville, Maryland. We were hanging out just, you know, and we were both going to the same school together the following day Um, and my parents beat me 911. And I remember running into, and I'm thinking to myself, all right, somebody must be hurt. There must be some kind of emergency. So we went in the house. We didn't have cell phones back then. Went in the house, picked up the phone, called my parents, and they said, come home immediately. Um, Anyway, I got home uh, 20 minutes later, and I'm thinking, what, what could be wrong? Walk in the house, walk in the family room. My dad is sitting on one side of the room. My mother's sitting on the other. And here's this IBM journal that I was talking about with that letter that I've written about the guy that I like, sitting in the middle of the coffee table. Wow. So, and like I said, this is the day before I left for my first year of college, and they confronted me like that. Um, and in essence, they, they outed me (laughs) and I think they met well, but it's fear, you know, parent at, at that time they didn't, you know, I don't think there were a lot of signs. They didn't know that they had, uh, a son who was, you know, uh, kind of questioning or struggling with his sexuality. And I don't think, you know, they, they necessarily approached the situation in the best way. But anyway, um, there was no choice at the time for me to come clean and be honest because you know I'm sitting there and it's all on paper. You know, no better time than to just say, "Hey, well, this is how I'm feeling." And my father, in particular, was livid because um, you know he's a he's a small town country boy, just expects his his son to be you know expects his son to grow up to be a certain way. Right. And uh, he kept saying that you know um, being gay was something that I chose. And I think my mother thought it was a phase like a lot of parents do. So that was a tough day. I mean, our relationship moving forward was rocky and um, they didn't come around for several years. And it was only through a lot of hard conversations and, and, and I'll be honest, just fights over several years that we've, we finally got to a place where they were accepting me for who I was because I always stood my ground and remained true to myself. Um, but, I guess that when I truly felt comfortable, I was probably, like I said, I was a 25. I came out to my extended family. And the reason I felt compelled to do so was because I had several family members that were constantly asking me if I had a girlfriend or they'd ask me silly, James, they would ask me silly questions like, what does it mean when you wear uh, an earring in your left ear versus your right ear? <laughs> <laughs> my grandma, they used to drive me crazy. Um, anyway, it's,
0: it's, I know it's a stupid question, but that would mean anything.
1: And this is, you know, this is maybe something they saw on TV. May I, who knows? I don't know. But they were curious. They're wondering what's going on. You know, I'm in my 20s at this point. I'm not bringing girlfriends home so anymore. Um, and so, you know, they're 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 trying to find all kinds of ways to ask the question without asking the question. You know okay but uh but you know when my grandmother asked me because i'll never forget she asked me that i was sitting in it was at, at my you know at home in parents house and we were in the library at the time or in the we called it the study room and i remember we were looking at old photos and she just came out with that question because i was wearing an earring in my left ear and it, and it drove me crazy and it used to eat at me so um i know she meant well but living the secret was was um was debilitating so i wrote I wrote 20 coming out letters to family members and dropped them in a mailbox because I couldn't imagine having to tell each of my family members face to face. I just knew that it would be, you know, a difficult conversation to have over and over and over again. So when I went and I dropped those in the mailbox, James, let me tell you, there's no turn back. I mean, I'm talking about the post office. So, you know, it's a federal offense to break into a mailbox. So it's, it's a wrap, Mike. It's a rat. If you them in now, everybody's gonna know. But I think it was, you know, for me at the time, um, I think it was, it was the best thing that I could do um, for myself. And, and, and I remember I went home because I was living with my parents at the time and I was finishing up my undergraduate degree. And I told my mother and father that they might be hearing from family members soon about, you know, my story and my sexuality. And they looked at me with like with stone cold faces. Um, I do remember my mom coming to my room later on that night, and she gave me a hug and she told me she loved me, and it meant a lot, you know. Really, <laughs> kind of helping to reduce some of the anxiety that I was feeling and some of the stress uh, from knowing what my life might look like in the next couple of days when people started calling or not calling. And so, anyway, I would say for the most part, when my extended family received the letters, they were supportive, and you know, and uh, just everybody, just about everybody wanted to see me happy. But you. You know, I, we we mentioned this in, in our community. I was worried, one, as a biracial man that identified as black, largely in the Af- African American community, there didn't just there didn't seem to be much tolerance. Um, and oftentimes we just aren't open to things that we don't understand, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So
0: it, I, it's it's definitely I I'll tell you, man, it it's a <laughs> I'm telling you from my own personal experience, it's different. I can't say a lot to you. Yeah, it's different. But that's why I wanted to have this conversation, because there's some, you know, I, this this is a learning time for me. And, and I can always learn, like, because it's not going anywhere. I mean, more, more and more people are becoming more comfortable. But when you think about it, it's actually good because I'm, I just listened to the story you told. So. Is it is it better to keep it a secret and just live and kind of live like in your own personal torture, as opposed to just being open with it? And now we know, and it's like okay, we either going to deal with it or we not. And and you already know how we, you know you can right. deal with it easily that way. And I Somewhere, mean,
1: I was, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, didn't know I was just going to say. I was just going to say. You know, um, we all experience you know, as adults, I think, even as adults, but I I think we can look back as adults and say, we've experienced some type of adversity in our lives.
0: Oh, of course. I mean, I've been
1: called a nigger before. And I, you know, and and I think several of us have. I remember I was working a job in Baltimore a long time ago, and um, I can't tell you, I heard, um, I just overheard a conversation with, you know, 10 feet of me, and it, it ripped me apart. And I just wanted, you know, and people are crazy, you know, I wanted to involve myself in the conversation. But um, but I didn't have the confidence to stand up for myself at that point because, and I think that's a, a big part of this conversation, just having courage and confidence to to stand on your own and stand up for what you believe in. Um, and I didn't have that until I was in my, my early twenties because I felt like I was I had been torn down so much, you know, just from from having you know to deal with my sexuality. And 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 I'll say one more thing. Um, if I'm taking a step back and I'm talking about building confidence, I, I think I gained a lot of courage in the late '90s and really into the 2000s because I was going down to Dupont Circle in Washington D.C. quite a bit with two friends of mine. And um, I hate to admit it, but I had a fake, de- a fake idea at the time. And we used to go to this bar. <laughs> <laughs> we used to go to this place called the Circle Bar on Sundays. And I remember being surrounded by older gay black men. And mind you, I'm 16, and most of the people that were around me were a lot older. Um, but it was a safe space for me. And, you know, people were happy even if they were escaping their, their everyday lives just for an evening to go out and be around like-minded individuals that were like themselves. I mean, it was like, it was an opportunity for me to meet doctors and, and lawyers and teachers and people that were successful. And, you know, I finally felt like there was a place for me in a society where so many of us were being discriminated against. And, uh, you know, that's kind of why I think events like pride parades are so important. And I've been to many of those. And and I think it's important for for kids and young adults to see that you can be somebody and make something of yourself, despite, you know, the adversity, as I I said, that, you know, that many of us had faced. And everybody just wants to be loved and to be okay to to love who they love, you know? So um, anyway,
0: that's... So one of, one of the one of the big issues in the black community also is church. Oh yeah <laughs> how, oh. how did how did that how did how did that play a factor like um where were, like were you comfortable going to church um you know
1: yeah I mean when I was younger James sure I mean I, I was raised in the church I went to a, a private Christian school from first it might even have been kindergarten through fifth grade. Um, my father was Baptist and my mother was Catholic. So when they moved to Hartford County, Maryland, they looked for a church that was a middle ground as far as like a, the denomination was concerned. And we, and we started going to a Lutheran church. And so I would say I just went about every, probably every Sunday I was in church without fail. And as a, as a kid, I attended Sunday school. I was taught, you know, Christian values and principles. I sang in choir. I feel like, I think I was fairly involved in church. Um, And I don't think I ever felt like I was an outcast. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't really until my late teens, when we were, my my mom and dad and I, we were invited to a a church actually by other family members. Um, And that was probably the first time when I first felt uncomfortable. And this particular church wasn't very large. I, I remember sitting midway between The church doors, you know, the entrance and the pulpit and the, you know, the sermon is rolling on and the preacher is talking about how love should be between a man and a woman um, or, you know, should only be between a man and a woman and he's, you know, condemning homosexuality and apparently now I'm going to hell. I mean, we're all sinners, right? But I'm going to hell (laughs) because of you know, who I choose to, you know, to love and I can't tell you what he said beyond that point, because I immediately experienced a combination of anger, sadness, and fear. I mean, my heartbeat was racing. I'm I'm sweating. I'm, I literally wanted to sink into the pew because I felt like kind of, I felt like the walls of the church were closing in as if the preacher was talking to me directly. Um, And no one knew what I was feeling inside because you know, obviously I, I'm trying to play it cool and I'm embarrassed. You know, like I said, it's it's not a direct attack, but I felt like that. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm thinking church is supposed to be a place of worship because that's what I've come to know, you know, a place of worship where you can let down your guard and be welcomed for who you are, no matter what your story is. And um, yeah, I've been to a lot of churches over the years, man. Like uh, me and my friends joke because there, we... <laughs> We still sing this song that, uh, and I'm not going to sing it because it's, it's, out. you know, I'm just not, I'm not going to do that right now. But, <laughs> <laughs> and the lyrics were like, you are welcome here, you are loved here. You are part of God's family. The table's prepared. We know, no, we know that, no, you know that we care. Come on, you are welcome. Come on, you are loved. Come on, you are welcome in this place. And so for me, you know, I'm thinking, Church is supposed to be a place of peace, love, harmony, where people open their arms to you and welcome you for who you are regardless, you know, and I felt like, getting back to this experience where we were visiting a church, I felt for the first time in my life, and it did happen to be a black church, um, that I was not welcome. And, um, and, as I said, that was my first uncomfortable experience and I think I stopped going completely at that point. And I was making excuses for why I couldn't go because I didn't want to have a similar experience. Um, yeah. So for several years, James, I'm telling you, I I hated the idea of religion, and I'm telling you, just that one time, which is crazy, but I hated the idea of religion. I hated God. I'm thinking, why would God create me, this gay man, creating me in His own image, if only to be shunned and ridiculed as a sinner for my sexuality? You know, that's what I'm thinking, and it just didn't make any sense to me. So. I began to seek my, you know, spirituality in in, in different ways, um, and I don't even think I attended church again until I was maybe thirty. And, um, you know, my partner at the time introduced me to Washington or Unity of, of Washington D.C., uh, where I, I, you know, I went for several years, and it's, you know, it was a an, kind of an inclusive environment where I felt comfortable practicing. You know my spiritual growth and, and worshiping um you know and like i said it's a place you know it's a it's a church that bases its teachings on jesus christ, but one that i I felt like truly did practice love um and acceptance of where I felt welcome um but you know getting getting back to the black church i just i feel like well still overall, I still feel like there's a huge problem with homophobia in churches right mm-hmm. um as much as I hate to say it, I think it's very prevalent in the Black Church and and within African American African American community, because you know the Black Church is such a central part of Black culture. Um, yeah. I think until heterosexuality isn't seen as the only acceptable standard and homosexuality isn't condemned by God, you know, um, then there's going to continue to be this issue. Well, I, in I, this is my opinion. It's probably
0: I. I'm not trying to be a negative or a doomsday guy, but I don't think it'll go away. And the reason I don't feel it'll go away is because it's in the Bible, right? And you know, the Bible is kind of like the standard for learning. So if if that's not going to change, then your thought
1: processes, your beliefs are not going to change either. So that's why I never think that's going to change. Yeah, I mean, I think there's so many different interpretations of the Bible and interpretations of the scriptures and the messages, and and you know that's another debate.
0: <laughs> but know? see, this is this is the this is the point I had to get to, because again, I'm still you know still evolving every day. But this is the point I had to get to, and just listening to your story confirms why I do to believe the way, not believe how I know how I feel the way I feel. The 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 thing is I listened to how you told your story, you know, all the pain you went through, all the misery, not being able to be yourself. And the only reason I would condemn you is because what God said that's in the Bible, which was written by a man. So <laughs> like how do, like how do I feel good about that? Just constantly condemning somebody, making them feel unwanted, unloved. Like that's a hard position to be in. And I got to a point where as a man, I had to say, you know what, I'm not gonna do that. Now again, I'm not gonna sit here and act like I'm perfect and I'm in, like I'm on social media like everybody else and other platforms and other places. And I may say something that that would be deemed ignorant. I'm not gonna act like, oh, you're gonna look at my record and it's clean. No. But what I will say is I'm learning and I'm trying, and that's
1: why I'm having this conversation with you. And that's exactly why I'm having a conversation with you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the point. We should be learning from each other, James. And, and, and I don't just mean you and I, but I, I mean, as, as a society at large, I think it's important that we need to continue to have these conversations or else we will continue to have, we'll, we'll continue to practice hate.
0: Yeah. I think the biggest thing, I think if you really want to, if you really want to change, I think the biggest thing, and, and I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about anybody that has mm-hmm. that has hang-ups about it, you know. I think the best thing you could do is put yourself in a position where you're thinking about somebody who love who you love, you know, and you know that they're, they're being held down by this secret. They can't live, you know, they can't be themselves, they can't live their own truth. So imagine how they're feeling. Right. And then what you're doing by continuing the you know lob comments at them and insults, what you're doing is making it even harder for them to live their truth. And they're supposed to be a person you love. You know, even if even if it's not a person that you know personally, it's just why would you add on to, you know, they, they're already carrying that burden of you know of of what they what what's, what is being perceived as different. You have to they're carrying that burden. So why would I want to add on to it? So true. Now, saying that, um, I wanted to transition to family because I mean, let's just be honest. (laughs) Natural tells us it takes a man and a woman to conceive, but you know, you're not, you know, having sex with women. Now, is this something that you're scared of, like to not have? Do you ever think about
1: life without having a woman? No, not a, as far as you know, having a family myself. Yes, like having your own kids. I'm sorry. I,
0: let me be clear. Like having your own kids, like with your, you know, with your carrying your
1: DNA, things like that. No, I mean not at all. To be honest with you, James. I mean, I was in a a long term relationship, um, and we had several conversations about family planning, and things. Unfortunately, didn't work out between the two of us. But during you know the time when we were dating we went to several informational meetings and orientations in dc to become foster and adoptive parents Mm -hmm. and it was shocking to learn of how many kids in the district are in the foster system so we discussed what parenting might look like for us um ultimately was just about providing a loving home for a child that didn't have one and uh you know or a child that hadn't received a permanent placement because you know there's so many kids that are bounced around between homes and Mm -hmm. I'm adopted myself and was lucky enough to have two loving parents from a very early age adopted around five months. and I, But a lot of kids are not that fortunate. So, I mean, there are several There's several people in my life that I'm proud to say are role models to me when I think about how they parented. Mm-hmm. Um, two friends of mine, and mind you, they happen to be gay and black. Um, uh, two men in there, well now, uh, late 40s, early 50s. Um, adopted officially adopted their son last year. He's now six, but at the time of the emergency placement uh, due to a situation with the biological mother, um, his name is Corey, but uh, he was three weeks old. So, I mean, it's been a long process. Uh, you know, almost, wait a minute.
0: So that process was like six years.
1: Yep. So this is the thing. It was a long process of, for them to adopt because in DC the goal is reunification with the biological family. So. Ooh. There have, I mean, there were so many, obviously it's a case by case thing, but there's so many um, factors that played into why the case played out for as long as it did. Um, and it was tough and not every, and that, not every situation is like that, it takes that long, but some take even longer. Um, but due to various circumstances it worked out for them and, you know, it just happened to be in the best interest of their son and now they're you know they're legally a family i won't get into you know it's because it's it's private for them and you know of course of course to this, the but there like i said there were some factors that played into why it it just would not make sense for uh you know for the child to go back to his biological mother right i um, understand and you know also i mean that's that's one example but you know i have my best friend has fathered three boys he was a donor to his best female friend and her partner. And while he doesn't technically have any parental rights because of an agreement that he made with the mothers, he's still very much involved in his son's lives. And, you know, and I think they're great kids. And then, so
0: let me back up. Sure. The, the woman actually carried the baby for him.
1: So his best friend. So my best friend, a gay man, his best friend, a lesbian, she... Has been with her partner for several years. They decided they wanted to have children, and so she asked him, my best friend, if he would be a donor to them. Whoa! Because yeah, and so <clears throat> obviously, you know, there were several conversations about what that would look like. Um, but they made it work, <laughs> and believe it or not, as I said, he has no parental rights, um, but is very much involved. And and had, like I said he has three boys he's very, very much involved in their lives. Um, so will so will he be?
0: I, I hate that I cut you cut you off. Okay. That so, caught me off guard. So will he will he act as a father? So the child had, the children had three parents.
1: So they do actually call him dad, and it is an unconventional family. Um, <laughs> but you know, and they and the three boys have two mothers. But they understand that you know at, at, they're a little older now. Um, but they understand that, uh, that, you know, Tim is his name, that Tim was, that he is actually the biological father, um, but that their mothers are essentially raising them. But I should also say this. So each one of the mothers carried one of the ch- the kids. So one of them had two kids and another one had one, one of the other kids. So it's, it's a very interesting um, kind of the way that they work that out but it worked for them. And, you know, the kids are happy. The parents are happy. Um, with With his sperm. they These two women carry yep.
0: a child with his sperm. Yep. Wow.
1: Yeah. Is that something you would do? Well, I mean, I think about, you know, there's another person in my life, you know, my cousin who has a beautiful baby girl who's one, you know, she found a, a donor and is raising her daughter and she's doing an amazing job. And I can think about so many different positive examples of same-sex couples and single parents and, you know, the LGBT community that are raising children that inspire me. And, you know, I think there's always going to be naysayers and people that have issues with a gay man raising a child. But at this point in my life, I'm 37, you know, that's their problem. Um, The only thing I would be concerned about is protecting my son and daughter, son or daughter, because I know, the kids can be rough. I mean, kids can be mean. So, I mean, just the negative things that that kids could potentially say about an unconventional household, and I even hate saying unconventional household, but, you know, still in 2019, we aren't where, you know, where I would ultimately like to see things. Um, and, of course, in this social and political climate under this administration, it's, you know, this, uh, this world is a shit show. But anyway, you're... <laughs> To Your question, and excuse my language, James. But to your question, I mean, I always had felt like I've had a paternal instinct and I've wanted to have children for longer than I can remember. Um, and I know that the, you know, when the time is right, I think it will happen, and I think there's a lot of different options. As I said, I'm an adopted child, um, I think there's a lot of kids that do not have homes. I would love to be, you know, to all you know, to have a home uh, and, and provide a loving home to a kid, but then I also think that they're. Uh, are other options like surrogacy, you know, where I could have a biological child of my own? So, you know, you never know. There might be some mini-me's running around here before long. But man, but that's so expensive, though. But see, that's the other thing. I mean, I, <clears throat> I mean, I, you know, I have, I feel like I have a pretty good job, and but at the same time, I remember as I'm, you know, going back when I was. In a relationship, several years ago, and we were talking about family planning, and we looked into private adoptions. We, well, you know, there's several there's several different types of adoptions, but um, you know, when you start talking about 50, 60, fifty, sixty, eighty, hundred thousand dollars to adopt a child, what? Oh yeah, in certain circumstances, <laughs> absolutely. When you start looking into fees, I, I, I look. There's a lot of different adoption agencies out there, um, but it can get very, very, very expensive. I had no idea
0: there was a, a private adoption. I had no idea that, that existed. Oh yeah,
1: and it's it can be ridiculously expensive. Is it legal? Oh yeah, absolutely.
0: Oh, oh okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey look, man, you got to forgive me, man. Look, look, my wife <laughs> had me watching some crazy stuff. We watched something where the, the child was being exchanged and on the black on the on the world on a black market where they just dropped the child off. Man, it was crazy. And that no, that's amazing. why I was wondering. I was like, this
1: legal,
0: but... Well, you know, yeah,
1: there's, a, there's a lot of things that are happening that shouldn't be happening. And I, this is, you know, I'm going to divert for two seconds, but I'm telling you, I saw a video, James, a couple of days ago where um, in China, they were manufacturing rice. There was actually a video of two different brands of rice in China. They were taking clothes. Clothes! I'm talking about dirty white T-shirts wringing them through this industrial machine grinding them up into some kind of paste, and then uh, and bagging what looked like rice into bags and selling it, and it was essentially toxic. Why did you tell me this story, man? Look, I mean, there's a look, <laughs> on social media. There's a whole lot of stuff out there. So getting back to the black market, yes, I'm sure you can get a baby on a black market, but I won't be doing that. <laughs> okay, understand,
0: understand. That's, ah, uh, man, it's 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 crazy because it's for two. When it's women, it's so much easier because they can just carry the baby themselves. But when it's men, you don't ha- you don't have that option. You have to you have to find a woman who one wants to put her body through that, and then ch- not chances are she's going to be attached to the child because she carried it. So now she would have to give up her rights to the child
1: and that's hard to do. Absolutely. Even if you have a contract in place. I can't imagine being, you know, carrying a uh, a child in my, my womb for nine months and giving birth and holding that child in my arms and then having to hand them over. I don't know what that feels like. Um, yeah, Um I do know that there are a lot of women that I mean, I've, i think I've seen some specials that have literally dedicated, I don't want to say their lives, but you know, they 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 have carried several children for others because they don't necessarily want the responsibility of having to raise kids on their own. But you know, it's expensive because a lot of people that go, you know, have surrogates, you're essentially paying uh, you know, a woman to to have, carry a child for nine months, you know, all the medical expenses and uh, you know, so anyway, getting back to the expense, it, it, it could be very expensive.
0: Now, is this something, is this something you would do as a single man or you would have to have a partner to
1: have a child? Well, you know, I'd be a fool to think it would be, <laughs> it, that it wouldn't be hard as a, as a single parent um, raising a child. I mean, I, I look at just my day to day now, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a federal employee and I go to work and I, you know, I'm fairly involved with my family and friends and stuff, I feel like I don't have enough time in the day as it is, but I know as, as a parent, your life changes and you do everything for your child. And, um, and you make it work. You know, I've talked to so many parents that are, you know, we're about to have a kid and they're like, I don't even know how I'm going to do this, but they figure it out, you know? Yeah. Um, so I will say, you know, I'm not in a relationship right now. Um, uh, you know, I'm I'm a single guy. I'm just enjoying, you know, my my mid to late 30s right now, but I don't know what my life will look like in a couple of years. And I feel like I'm kind of getting to the point where, and to be honest, James, this is another thing. I actually had a conversation with my mother, who I took out to lunch a couple of weeks ago, and she asked me the very same question. She said, you know, she works in a hospital and she sees patients come in every day to have surgery. Or that are sick, that do not have family or friends to come visit them when they're in the hospital or their um, you know their husbands or, or wives have passed, and they're lonely and my mom says to me and I don't think that she's being selfish by any means, but she says, you know I would love to see you with the child because you know when you get older, it would be nice to have somebody that you know could be there to care for you because we all age yeah you know so um so we actually had a conversation and she's super supportive i mean my mother's at in a place in her life she's about to retire and i keep having conversations with her and i'm like um i can't afford nobody's 1500 hundred dollar daycare a month. <laughs> and so she so you know she's uh she's like well, you know well uh you know i I would be there for you and we would make it work. And that's one of the things I love about my mother and father. And as i said, we have a very strong relationship, despite all that we went through, you know, uh, dealing with my sexuality and they're, they're super supportive. Um, so yeah, so I think I, I could definitely see myself being a single dad, but I do know what would probably be easier. And I, and I would actually like to have, it, it would be nice to have, um, a family, you know, with, with another person in my life. So, but who knows what, the, what the, the world has in me. Wow. Well,
0: look, man, I want to truly thank you for doing this. Um, This conversation has helped me. I'm sure it helped you. And I'm sure to help everybody who's listening. So man, I want to thank you for doing it.
1: Absolutely. James. And I just want to make one more comment because I was thinking about this when, you know, we were talking before Um, I was thinking about just, just takeaways, you know, And if there are, you know, that people that are listening uh, to your podcast, to your channel, um, I just want them to know maybe they're raising kids um, that are young that are coming up that might be in a position that I was in. And um, one of the things that I just wanted to make sure that I mentioned is um, the suicide rate for LGBT youth. Is significantly higher than the rate among the general population. I think it's something like one in four preteen suicides are LGBT youth. And that's alarming. And so, you know, think about it. At a young age, we're not equipped to handle the stresses and pressures like we would when we're older. And for so many young gay kids, they don't have an outlet. And many of them are just trying to navigate their emotions. I mean, I remember, I, you know, we all do as kids, we're all just trying to navigate our emotions and, and, you know, but not everybody has the necessary support because they're scared to tell somebody about how they're feeling. So they're, you know, they're feeling alone, they're feeling helpless. And I just think about, you know, the psychological damage associated with that. Um, and there's internet now, you know, but, you know, when I was a kid, there weren't really many resources that I knew of, um, but I wish that, you know, several years ago i would have been able to jump online and find comfort in maybe knowing that there was somebody else out there that had had a positive experience or an outcome by coming out you know it and that right. would have helped me tremendously um you know there's so many can camp- i mean there are campaigns now like the, i don't know if you've heard of the it gets better project that has done you know really great work in conveying the message to teens that their lives will improve even you know even if they're struggling now it does get better um so anyway i uh that's one of the things I just wanted to make sure I, I left you with okay, and hey, well, before I hang up in, in, in this, I want to make sure I say, man
0: again, thank you for doing this, and let me say, man, I'm proud of you, man, like I've seen the man you've grown into, the man you've become, and I'm proud of you man, because you, you had a t- you had a tough road you had to battle through that and you, and I'm sure there was times you felt alone but you know, by God's grace and your strength and His strength, you got through it. So,
1: man, I'm proud of you. Thank you, James. I really appreciate that. And I, and like I said, I'm I'm honored that you reached out. That you've, you know, that one. You know, first of all, let me say that I'm I'm happy that you have this platform. Um, I've listened you. to some of your other uh, podcasts and the other guests, you know, speakers or you know, business people that you've had on here, and I feel like you're doing great work. Um, Thank you, man. I appreciate it. The, the topics that you are, that you're covering are important um, because they help, you know, you just never know who you're touching it. Even if it's just one person. I, I, right. I think that you've done a great deal of work if that's the case. And I also want to say, I know the father that you are. And since we were just talking about family, I think that you're, you know, you're you're a great dad to your daughter um, and and inspire me because I know I'm going to need some support when I got a little one, you know, running around here. (laughs) Anyway, but thank you so much for having me. I really do appreciate it. Hey, man. Thank you again. Hey, man. You know what? Let me make sure
0: I let you know, man. I love you. And thank you for everything you do. I love you man. I appreciate you. Sure. And um, if those who want to follow me on social media, you can follow me at Conversations with Lamp on IG and also Conversations with Lamp on Facebook. And thank everyone for listening. Have a great day.